Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly dee. God damn, it's been a long time. Schmackamagab, it's me, Ralph, and with me is... Oh, yeah! The Ayatollah Alcoholic in Wadley. What's up, Ralph? Oh, not much. I got to tell somebody, uh, the people that are listening, something really funny that happened a couple minutes ago and you didn't even notice. Before me and Ian start the show, you know how Ian cracks a beer to say hello to people. Well, we're about to do the show and I hear a beer crack and Ian goes... All right, so this is what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I got to. Here <laughs> just to tell us. <laughs> and everybody, it wasn't that long. He chugged that beer. <laughs> and crack, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> that's the intro crack. No, that's the intro to what we're going to do, crack beer. <laughs> I probably do it every fucking time. It's the first time I've noticed it. <laughs> that's the intro to the intro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time because A, we had uh, Rock and Pod, and then I caught uh, COVID for the second time. Oh, you and did? I thought you caught the Rock and Roll pneumonia, and everybody else caught the Boogie, boogie Flu. Yeah, and, and a little bit of crabs on the side. Yeah. Um, You're welcome. Now, yeah, I got uh, COVID for the second time. I originally got it last December. And uh, was asymptomatic, luckily. Uh, no problems. Uh, got it this time, and, and I got it bad. I got that uh, that Delta variant shit. And, uh, yeah, that shit kicked my boo-boo. I ain't been that sick in over 10 fucking years. And then after that, <laughs> I got hit with a hurricane. <laughs> right as I was coming off my COVID, I got hit with a hurricane where... Luckily, no damage, you know, nothing significant to, to where I live. But uh, I lost power for over a week, and internet didn't get restored for damn near a month. And then right as my internet came back on, it was time for me to go see my son and my grandchildren in Seattle, which was a trip that was postponed because I was supposed to go last December when I got COVID the first time and couldn't go. Uh, so, yeah, I've been, I've been either gone sick or you know just decapacitated in general if that's a word uh, uh, I mean you dodged the bullet way too much especially going to Seattle and not be tempted by that awesome smack there yeah yeah I, I, I looked that, I looked but you died, that's right he didn't find it very lucky because the heroin in Seattle kills people yeah I was too drunk to find the, the heroin that's how bad it was you got lucky. He dodged too many bullets this time. <laughs> but uh, I'm back. I'm healthy. I got internet. Uh, I had a really incredible vacation. But, you know, gone much too long from the show. And and I apologize to people who were waiting uh, for these fan episodes. But now that I'm back, you know, Ralph and I, we're, already, we're going to record two episodes this week. And we're going to keep... Knock them out. I'm back. I'm ready to go. I missed doing the show. I missed everybody on, on Facebook when I was off for so long. And I want to thank a lot of people that reached out to me during the hurricane, hoping I was well. 
problem was when I got no power, I got to save what I got on my phone. Uh, I made you know, a, in case. I made a post to people, look, you can't use your phone, so you can't text back and stuff. Yeah, and, and everybody still did. <laughs> That's our listeners. They're <laughs> <fucking self-levels. laughs> They're, They don't listen to me. It's like, fuck the, fuck the authority. I'm going to give it to the man. <laughs> Text Ian now. Well, and I, I'll tell you what, if nothing else comes out of all this gloom, uh, something I never thought was ever going to happen, happened. Uh, I made peace with uh, an arch enemy of this show. Oh, really? God, oh, man, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, and I, I was going to tell you, but I'm like, I'll, I'll save it for the show, because I, I know you're going to be shocked. Oh. Uh but I actually made peace with Andrew Jacobs. Wow! That's amazing. That's actually awesome. I'm yeah, so. proud of you, man. I'm very proud of you. That's so, really nice that you'd be friends with him again. Oh, yeah. You're better than me, let me tell you. <laughs> I know a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they, they love when I make fun of Andrew. They love when I make fun of his ex-wife and stuff like that, but... You know, you go through so much shit like this, as sick as I was, you go through hurricanes, you know, it's like, it, is, is life really, you know, life life is too short for the petty shit, you know, let's everybody get along, and I gotta give him credit, it was him who reached out to me, and it wasn't just him, uh, it was him, his wife, and his mother and father. Oh man, his wife yeah. and his wife. Yeah, and uh, the odd thing, it was totally by chance, too. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people, they know when there's a disaster, you know, you know the Red Cross, you know, Red Cross is there to help people, donations and stuff like that. But what people don't talk about too much is what Blue Cross does for you. And he was here, him and his family and wife all donated their time to Blue Cross. And, and what, what that means is everybody here who was without power... Uh, the Jacobs family blew them all. Damn. Uh, hey, Ian, man, that's a long-ass letter he wrote you. <laughs> yeah. So they're around here, you know, you know, if if, uh, if you didn't have power, the Jacobs family would, would you know, blow you. You know, they, they blew so many people while they were here. I, I mean, and it wasn't just, you know, people whose homes were affected. Uh, they were blowing homeless people, you know, because, hey, they don't have power, you know. And uh, and and they blew a lot of people, and, and for free, for yeah. free, you know they. What do they call those people in the the heroes we have? That they're called frontliners, right? That, that are yeah, they're, yeah. They're some and it even goes beyond what they they're pussy compared to yeah. them. I mean, they're they're in front of the frontliners, right? Yeah, I I mean, I mean you know frontliners isn't really the word for it. The the word for it would be cocksuckers. Because they sucked so much cock, the whole family, you know, it, 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 there was a line around the block, and they didn't stop, you know, <laughs> so, so the, you know, the entire Blue Cross family blew everybody, and, uh, you know, so hats off to Roy Harper there, you know, the hell of a job, hell of a job, and after it was done, I felt a lot better, I felt lighter, you know, uh, it relieved a lot of stress, you, you know, buy them too. Yeah. Of course, he, yeah. Told you. He, took, he gave you directions, right? Yeah, you, you know, and, and, and they worked as a team, okay? You, you know, 
uh, a man has but one cock, yet he has two balls. And everything was taken care of. Uh, and I really needed it then, you know, uh, you know. How many times? You said four, right? Yeah. Well, fuck. Yeah. That's two for the balls, one for the cotton. The other one better be good and some ass. Oh, you know they did. Yeah. Oh. Woo. Oh, man, I'm praying a hurricane comes my way now. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe Blue Cross can come to you. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so so no, no more trash talking Andrew Jacobs and his family because... Yeah. Those cocksuckers are all right in my book. <laughs> and let me tell you something. When they come my way, I'm going to make sure it's Andrew that licks my ass. Yeah. That's going to be hot. <laughs> so, uh, cheers. Uh, cheers. Hey, uh, wait, wait a second. Didn't you tell me before the show that was an iTunes review? You, you changed? Yeah. Yeah, but it got banned. It was kind of graphic. Oh, was, yeah, and it was kind of long. Well, he, he, even though we made up, he left some kind of nasty stuff in, in the review about the smell. But you got to remember, I was without power. You know, I didn't have hot water. Shit happens. But he didn't stop, you know. Neither did the whole family. They didn't care. I was sweaty, grimy. They cleaned me from head to toe, kicked the tires, checked the oil. Um, it was a full service, you know, job. God got, bless them. Yeah, God bless them, man. The Jacobs, like, are heroes. They're, they're, they are the frontliner cocksucker heroes ever. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, let's get into some news, and holy shit, uh, has there been some news? And the, the one thing, the number one thing, it's like, fuck, I can't stop, I can't complain. I can't complain because I'm healthy, everything's okay, but, you know, COVID, hurricane, uh, a trip, and then just when you think everything's all right, my Lord and Savior, David Lee Roth, uh, announces his decision to retire. Well, I mean, uh, you know me, I love him as much as you, but I think it's a good move, man. I do too. I'm totally at peace with it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't hear his latest song. I was not thrilled at all. Oh, you're, I... you're not going to like it because I know how you feel about the other, other two tunes. Yeah. yeah in the same vein and I don't even like it you know I like the other two right it's in the same vein all this like you know it's yacht rock man you know yeah I, I mean I'll still check it out and I hope he does release the album of course I'll support it and buy it yeah but, but I'm gonna be honest if I like it or not you know I'm not you know not a kiss tard or even a raw tard you know oh by the way I have an announcement to make I'm glad you brought up the term kiss tard um, I have decided. I mean, you. I'm not telling you. You can use Kiss Tart all you want. I'm the guy that came up with it from this show, actually. You know, because you kind of enlightened me. I mean, I already knew there was a bunch of Kiss Tarts out there, but my term has spread out, right? But I am not changing it because everybody's using it, and I am not changing it because it's politically correct not to use Tart. I have a new word that it, it has a better ring to it. And I want your opinion, Ian. What do you think? Okay, let's hear it. <clears throat> kiss twat. <laughs> sound better than kiss twat? Yes, I, I, I yeah. like it. Because what kind of pussy would support that shit? <laughs> a, a, a kiss twat. <laughs> that even brings more. 
Yeah. By the way, and, and, I'm, and a shout out to Damien, the guy that's in, jar, in, in, um, in charge of that whole Casablanca thing I took part of. Yeah. He called me today, dude. He's such, he's the nicest guy. He's like, bro, so uh, this Friday, Kiss is playing. The same place I'm going to see Alice and Ace this weekend. Call me up and say, dude, I got you a free ticket. Let's go, let's go see uh, Kiss. And I said, I love you, bro, but I ain't going, man. I had you, I had you like right on my shoulder. Huh? Yeah, go ahead, take it, Ralph. <laughs> I denied Damien, but I thank him so much for thinking of me, you know? Well, I got some, got some real good news, too. Here's some more good news. Uh, you know, at first it was announced Dave would be at the Kiss show I was going to go to. Right. And then it was announced he wasn't. So now me and the missus are like, oh, shit, you know. And I found out, you know, I had, I think it was 10th row center or something like that, 11th row center. And it was in some kind of pit uh, that they're doing. I, I guess maybe it was like what uh, maybe Metallica did with their snake pit or whatever. Right. But she, she said it was in some kind of, you know, because she was all about she wanted me to see Dave. She's like, maybe he'd sweat on you. You know, and and you'd cry like a bitch. I'm like that already happened at at a, at a club in Orlando. But any, but any, and I and I did. <laughs> but um, once she found out, I'm like, oh, fuck. How are we gonna get rid of these tickets? And then I found out there's an app now on Ticketmaster where you can sell your tickets. Um, oh, very cool. If it, yeah, if you if you change your mind, or there's been a lot of shows. My Primus show has got rescheduled for the fourth time now in two years. Two years ago, I bought these fucking Primus tickets to see him do Rush. And, and uh, great Charlie Hill, and I'll get into it a little later. He got me tickets to see Jeff Tate before the pandemic. We just saw him last week. That's how long it took. What's that? Almost two years, maybe. Right. But uh, I, I saw it there because they had the option if you can't make the date because uh, it's been rescheduled. You can sell your tickets. And luckily, the old lady got on there and found two kiss twats. <laughs> two, two kiss twats who wanted to drag their pussy ass to go see this fucking clown show that uh, is, is kiss lip syncing. And because uh, I even asked her, you know, because she saw the first reunion tour. She had better seats. We were already broken up, but uh, she went out of spite and had like. 10 times better seats than me. I'm in the nosebleeds. She had good ones. But I'm like, honey, do you still want to go with no Dave? She's like, no. I was like, good. So we sold them and we got our money back. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm sure like, you know, those Kiss Twats probably had to sell a couple of vintage Jawas that were still in the package <laughs> to afford these tickets because they weren't cheap. Uh <laughs> Oh, man, I got to tell you, I sold, uh, oh, man, I was going through my, my doubles, and I found uh, Rock and Roll Over, Orange Vinyl Still Sealed, right? And I don't know, dude, to me, it's the biggest mystery, because then I went to my record collection going, wait, I thought I opened this shit, and I did. I have the orange one in my collection, so I was like, where the fuck did I get this? It's the biggest mystery. I put that shit on eBay, bro, 120 bucks. Hey, guess what? <laughs> oh god, yeah. Now, now you can save up your money and buy that new reissue, of the Elder, that has uh, they put the laugh track back in it. Oh shit, I, I buy that. I'll be kiss squad there. <laughs> but 
Yeah, so any, anyway, back to the, you know, the, the real thing here, Dave retiring. Yeah, I'm totally at peace with this. Uh, I, I've seen footage, you know, there, there was uh, some nights on that Kiss show that I thought he sounded pretty good, but Dave is, admittedly, hit or miss live. And the guy's got nothing left to prove. The only thing that scares me is in his announcement, I kind of got the feeling that he's sick. Yeah, no, uh, I put up my news today. Uh, my my news today on YouTube, the title is, Is Dave Dying? Because it's so cryptic what he's talking about. How, you know, look in the rearview mirror, Eddie. Like, I'm on my way. Like, he's going to join Eddie or some shit. Says he's got five years. What the fuck, man? And, and I think when I, you know, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, am I reading too much into this? Is it, uh, you know, am I just being scared? But then I saw today, Sammy Hagar said a bunch of nice stuff about Dave. So <laughs> that means he's got one foot in the grave because uh, Sammy loves you when you're dead. Yeah. Well, he only loves you for a little while because Sammy just came out talking about the Van Halen's trying to bury his material. Like the Van Hagar stuff after Dave rejoined. Yeah. I, I went through a whole thing. I, I did a whole rant on that, but I'll just like, do a little microscopic part of that. This is a guy that slams Eddie in his book. Now he's fucking, well, not now. Like a couple months ago, he regretted saying everything about Eddie and shit. And now he's back at it. Fucking hypocrite, man. Yeah. I'll I tell you what, man. Uh, I, I'm a pretty cool comic collective guy. But if Dave goes before Sammy, uh, I'm going to take him out. I'm going to take him out. That's all there fucking is to it. He's dead. He's a, you hear that, Hagar? You're a dead man. <laughs> so shit, for Tui, you're probably a kiss twat. <laughs> right now, right now, uh, Andrew Jacob is sending this episode to the cops. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Again>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 it's going to be like, hey, Sergeant Stadinko, look, we got another one from the nutball. Yeah, the cocksucking kid. <laughs> Did he bring his wife? <laughs> dick. I like the way she's so thick. It feels like, you know, she's eating my pussy or something. <laughs> oh, God. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm okay with it. The only thing that sucks is I'm not going to be able to make any of his last shows. And I just had uh, my buddy's wife text me. And she's like, hey, are you going? I'm thinking about going. Ooh. And I... And, and I can't, though, which sucks. Over the holidays, I'm on call for work, and nobody's going to trade with me. Can, you, can, can I break. get man, and, and Can they pay, pay for my plane ticket, too? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to do that. On the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. <laughs> oh, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a shame, but, you know, Dave always does everything on his own terms, so... If this, if this is what he wants, if he wants to just, you know, chill and do whatever, get more into his, you know, doodles or whatever the fuck he's doing now and play with his fucking dog, I don't care. This guy has got nothing left to prove. Uh, he's He'll go down as one of the greatest showmen of all time. That'll never be erased, unlike Van Hagar. Uh, you know, his, his legend is, you know, that shit's in concrete. So... Yeah. That is, yeah, yeah. and and I think it's you know 
It's a classy way to do it. I just hope he's not sick. Uh, you know. Yeah, me too. But, so he alludes that Alex Van Halen is playing those shows. Really? Yeah, I mean, that same interview. Listen to that interview. And there are headlines already see people writing, you know, these sites. Alex Van Halen to join Dave on the last four shows. But if you listen to the interview, it kind of, it's kind of, it kind of alludes to it. It's not really that he is. But, right. it, but he talks about Al like he's part of the band. Well, I'll tell you, if... Uh... If Alex does it, I bet you Mikey will be there. Hopefully, man. And and, and Sammy will be calling the cops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's too many people. Call the fire chief. It's a bladder mouth. All right, check it out. Here's some more <laughs> things about Alex. Yeah. Yeah. In that case, man, if he did that shit, I'd paint his face black and let the cops beat the shit out of him. Throw him in the back of the squad car with fucking Jacobs. <laughs> you know, you know what? You know what I see a lot of Hagar squats? Yes, I changed that word too. It's called Hagar squats now again. Yeah. You know what I've noticed? Some Hagar squats, right? You know, because people are saying, shit, shut up about Van Halen, right? Always fucking talking, talking. And then the Hagar squats say, they ask him about Van Hagar. What do you expect? I'm like, yeah, you know what I expect? I expect he answers it without bashing any of them. Yeah, well, or, you know, how many times have you seen, like, rock stars interviewed that they've had a bad breakup with somebody and when they ask them a question of a former member they're like nah i don't want to talk about that you know what i'm saying but yeah. seth is like oh let, let me talk about van hagar and then bash the members of van hagar as i do it so no it's not that they're asking them a van hagar question it's not that simple they're asking him a question to let him start bashing the members of van Halen. plain and simple but but then again we're dealing with Hagar squats. I wish I had a little oh. echo thing. I wish I was like smart. Hagar squats, 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 squats. Hagar. They they look like a normal human, only they have no ears or balls. Hagar squats. Oh. If they have to shut up, flying piece of shit's ass. What else, Ian? Oh my God, have you heard any of the snippets of? Uh, Lexi Fox's new band? I believe... I just heard the second one now, and I couldn't stop laughing. I believe he's trolling. I think it's a whole trolling thing. But at the same time, the last clip I heard was he was doing... They were doing Dancing Machine, you know, Michael Jackson? Yeah. To, to Mean Street from Van Halen. That, uh, yeah, that, that shit was terrible. But that the, was terrible. Here's the thing, Ian. There's a guy that did one of those, you know, those remix videos... Yeah. There's somebody out there that did that, that did, you know, Dancing Machine with Mean Street. And that one's really cool because it's them playing it. Actual tracks of Van Halen and Michael Jackson. It really matches really good. So when I heard that today, I go, this guy trolling us because this has been done. Is he just covering this dude's song that he did, like, you know, mashup videos? That's what they're called. The mashup videos. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe doing it for attention to draw attention to this new project and he's really still in the band. I don't know, but how could you leave, you know, a lot of people like, you know, Steel Panther's a joke, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, w what's more of a joke leaving that to, to, to go to a band that just does mashups? That's fucking terrible. Well, hopefully it's part of the, you know, it's part of an act that, you know, 
he left the band. Part of a, so, so they can do a documentary of when he left the band. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Spinal Tap thing. He left the band and, caught, and, and formed this crappy shit. What is it called? Hollywood Guns and something? No? Hollywood, gun, Hollywood Guns and Monsters. <laughs> Hollywood Guns and Monsters. It sounds perfect for, like, you know, a Spinal Tap Yeah. Tap. Yeah, he left it through, you know. <laughs> I haven't heard anything flow off the tongue like that since the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. <laughs> right. Hollywood Guns and Monsters. Yay. Oh, my God. Uh, Rob Hofford says he's having uh, a lot of fun making his debut blues solo album. Yeah, you know what, man? I hate to be the guy, you know, that guy that always bashes shit before he even hears it. But I am kind of like, uh-oh. I'll be honest. I, hopefully it'll, it will uh, be good. But you know why I'm afraid of Rob Hoffman doing his blues album? Because I, I already saw how it turned out when he did Christmas music. Yeah, yeah, you beat me to it. That Christmas album is terrible. Two of them. Oh, yeah. man. But, yeah. but Go ahead. I, I hate Christmas music to begin with, so I'm probably the wrong person. I didn't like it when Good Sister did it. I don't like Christmas music, period. Trick one. I think it's really good. You should listen yeah, to it. Yeah. I, 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 I deleted it from my discography. I'm like, nah, no. Well, I, hey, I'm not a fan of Christmas music. Not, I don't hate it as much as you, but, but Cheap Trick did some rocking Christmas songs. Yeah. One by Roy Wood, you know, the guy from the movie. I think it was a Moog song, and it's like the best song on there. It fucking rocks. Well, uh, something nobody's going to get anytime soon is a new Sabotage show. Uh, did you see about John Oliva getting arrested? I have mixed feelings about this. Um, Man. Number one, uh, there's positives and there's negatives on this, okay? Chris Oliva, correct me if I'm wrong, Ian. I, I'm pretty sure I remember Chris Oliva was killed by a drunk driver. I mean, I'm almost positive that's what happened. Him and his fiance who died many years later. Um, <clears throat> now, the positive about it, and it's not positive, but in the same time, it's like there's so many people online like shaming John for doing blow at his age. Dude, when he's doing blow, he's only hurting himself. He knows the consequence. You know what I mean, Ian? You know what I'm crying? Right. I'm not going to shame anybody if they're doing something that doesn't hurt a uh, uh, fellow human being. Now let's say, well, it's hurting him. Why don't you save him? Tell me, Ian, this is the God's honest truth. If anybody has any kind of substance abuse, they want to, they're the ones that want, gonna want to stop. Me telling them, hey, hey, you do coke at your age, you're not wrong. That ain't gonna stop shit. You're just a judgmental finger pointing twat. Finger pointing twat, that's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I feel for the guy because, you know, here he's got to see pictures, you know, of Vince Neal and it appears he lost half a pound. So now John wants to lose a little bit of weight, do a little bit of blow, you know, he'll pass the buffet. But yeah, the the, the, the DUI thing, uh, yeah, I, I knew his brother, I was never a big Sabotage fan, but uh but yeah, I knew his brother died in a car accident. I didn't know it was a drunk driver. Uh, and, and and if that's true, yeah, yeah, shame on him for that. Well, technically, shame on anybody to do that. And yeah. I'm not saying I've I've never been guilty of it. But you know, I I got popped once. 
And uh, it, it just took that to learn my lesson because you can not only hurt yourself but kill a lot of people. So as much as we promote partying and doing all this and that, never get behind a wheel. You know, it's 2021. Take a fucking Uber. You, you know? know? Yeah. Uh, Ian, honestly, look, what Ian said made a lot of sense, but I can't help but get a little bit of the shivers. Like, oh, man, we sound like these fucking rock stars that do a lot of low. Hey, don't drink and drive. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. true. true. Don't drink and drive, but, you know. Yeah, I'm not saying don't drink. I'm not saying, you know, don't drive. Just don't do them at the same time. Don't. If you want to do some blow, do some blow. Yeah, and don't be a, dr- a drunk driver's squad. Exactly. Work. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen to him? You know, that that's, uh, that's a bad charge. But, yeah, uh, what if Sammy Hager was his neighbor? Wouldn't you want him to drink, drink and drive? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Park right in his fucking bedroom. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Park in his bedroom at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, while you're blaring, running with the devil. Play, play some real music. Can I just give my quick Jeff Tate review of his show? Oh, oh yeah, 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 by all means. Quick. Um, Charlie, me, and Daniela, we went to the show. And, dude, I just, I, I, well, yeah, since you've been gone, I, I, I've had a couple little fucking incidents. Like I told you, I fell, and I, and yeah. I broke my phone into pieces, right? So I bought a new phone, but I forgot to take a picture of my fucking uh, Vax card. So I went to the show. I went to the show and you needed a Vax card. Or this is what they're doing at shows now. As I understand, I'm going to see Alice and Ace on Sunday. So you need to show proof of a Vax card. If you can't, they do a test on you. And they did the test on me at Jeff Tate because I didn't have the fucking... Which, yeah, this Sunday I'm taking my fucking... I'm not taking a picture. I'm actually taking the motherfucker. I, you know, I got a and everything. So, uh, my point is, when Jeff Tate, I had to go pay 40 bucks for them to test me. And it was the same test they gave me when fucking I was in the hospital. That fucking Q-tip hitting the brain and shit. I was like, motherfucker, yeah. man. I paid 40 bucks for this, and I got a Vax card, goddammit. But anyway, the show was phenomenal. Dude, this was my plan. I was gonna see him do Rage for Order and then leave because uh, Glenn Hughes was playing up the street. Uh, um, uh, Dead de- 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 Yeah. So I was gonna leave there and then by the time I got to the culture room, uh, Dead Daisies weren't even be on yet. You know what I mean? So Jeff Tate was so amazing that I turned to Charlie like toward the end of Rage. I go, dude, I'm not leaving and I'm staying. Fuck it. You know, I, you know, I'm not a fan of Vampire, but fuck it. And I enjoyed it, I, you know, I mean, it, it was boring too in some parts, but whatever. There was a lot of Empire fans there, but I'm glad I stayed because the Encores was last time in Paris, which is nice, rare, and he ends the show with the hardest song to sing, uh, Take Hold of the Flame. <laughs> it was insane, dude. It was fucking insane. He was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Great, great show. And I thank Charlie. Right on. Right on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was great last time I saw him, so that's good to hear. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into the Rock and Pod. Yeah, Rock and Pod 4. 
man, uh, what were your thoughts, Ralph? Oh, it was a blast, dude. It was always fun, you know what I mean? It was a little cramped, though, from what we're used to. Well, maybe not. Oh, don't listen to me. I had fun. Yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, it was, uh, it was a mixed bag for me. And and I hate to say that and, and sound like a Debbie Downer because I had a ton of fun. Uh, it was great seeing the people who made it. But to me, there was like a little dark cloud over it. Um, and, and I don't know, it might be hard to describe because I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't have a good time. It was great. But there were so many people who had to cancel at the last minute for various reasons. And a, a lot of people with COVID, uh, you know, and I was so happy to see uh, Rock and Ron. And it was very sad to, uh, you know, see what shape he was in, though, you know. Yeah. But I was, I'm, I'm so glad that I got to see him, you know, and, and, and hug him again and, and, and talk to him. And, you know, I got to spend, you know, a decent amount of time with Ron. And I'll always, always be grateful for that. But, uh, you know, now, you know, we, we want to dedicate this episode to Rock and Ron. Yeah. But, uh, you know... And, and for those those of you who don't know, uh, Rock and Ron passed away shortly after Rock and Pop. So, you, you know, it is between between that and and missing people who were were supposed to be there, and we really didn't get to enjoy the Rock and Pop this year. You know, we uh, I think you'll agree with me on this because. We did so many interviews and, and we're thankful and lucky to do those interviews, but we were in a separate room, so you and me really didn't get to experience the full rock and pod like we normally do. Yeah, you know what? I, I didn't notice that until you mentioned, mentioned that right now, because yes, that day was, dude, you couldn't even go take a piss. Yeah. Know? It was awesome. But yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I guess uh, we had to take the good with the bad. You know, the good, you got all the interviews, but... The bad we couldn't experience it like the other ones. Right, but you know, you know, the great news, and again, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but this was the biggest rock and pot so far, uh, and by all accounts, everybody who actually got to really, you know, experience the full thing loved it. You know, people were very happy with it, had a great time, and 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 that's what it's really all about. You know. As long as the people who went, you know, got to experience everything and, and they were glad they came. A lot of people were happy just to get out, you know, after the lockdowns and everything. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people showed up. So it was great. But for us, it was weird because we just didn't get to see it. We, by the time we got started, uh, we had to set everything up at our table and we had a separate room, you know, for the podcasters that was kind of a little bit away from the main room and by the time we had everything set up it was one interview after another and then there was like a little bit of a uh, time when we didn't but that's only because some interviews got postponed and we didn't know when they were going to show up so we really couldn't leave now in past ones we were all in the same room and you had a lot of podcasters complain that uh, it's too loud they can't hear the interviews they're doing but I think in a way it kind of backfired a little bit because now we got too many podcasters 
in one little room. So it was very loud, too. And you're going to hear in some of our interviews, some of them come out better than others. Um, you know, we we have a very do-it-yourself setup and everything. You know, we, we were recording. Uh, I think we recorded with my phone. Or no, no, we recorded on, with my microphone on the computer. But, you know, some people got, the, you know, a huge mixing board and everybody's got headphones and their own mic and shit, you know. <laughs> Ralph and I got my mic and we're passing it around back and forth as we're talking. You know, no headphones, just plugged into my laptop, you know, gorilla radio style. Uh, but it worked, and we did some great interviews that you're that you're going to hear. Some quality is going to be better than others. We're just going to let you know now. Ralph's going to try to clean up the best he can, but, you know, you got to understand the limitations of how we recorded. Uh, you know, but I think there's going to be some stuff you guys are really going to enjoy. Uh, the pre-show party was amazing. Tommy Skioch, I believe is how you pronounce his name, the dude from Tesla. Yeah, that was a good band. Oh, man, was it? Uh, Ron Keel did an acoustic set. Uh, they had, there was a bunch of people doing covers. And aside from the guys who tried to do David Lee Roth, no disrespect to Chris Zedzak's buddies, but oh, oh, God, I wanted I wanted to die. But that that's a small complaint because the concert, I think, uh, was one of the best they've ever had. It was just really good. And it was the most time I ever spent actually watching the show. Usually I'm out, you know, smoking on the deck and laughing and joking with people. But this, this shit was so good. Uh, I had to catch almost all the acts and, and most of the shows. So that was amazing. Then after the expo, we went to, uh, went to go to a theater where they were showing Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. And Ralph and I were invited to be part of it you know there was talks like hey we want you guys involved and we're like wow you know we're, we were honored by that because we knew there was going to be professional comedians doing it and everything like wow you know they really think we're that fucking funny and then we got told right before that get ready we're going to get a cue and we're going to go up there and i was like oh oh man this is going to be awesome and and the cue never came <laughs> the uh, queue never came but you know what in hindsight I don't think it was the crowd for us to begin with uh, kiss squats yeah a lot of kiss squats a lot of great people too though no, no, I don't think there was any bad people there I'll, I'll no 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 there, and, and I'll tell you what Courtney Cronin Dole was hilarious yeah, she, 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 stole, she, she stole it she stole it. Uh, Craig Gas was hilarious. Um, uh, Don Jameson, right? And and but uh, you know there was a few clunkers too. But it, it, in hindsight, if you read the room, having us up there <clears throat> would have been like bringing up George Carlin and Richard Pryor at a Jeff Foxworthy show. Yeah, you exactly. know what I mean? Or I, 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 putting Andrew Jacobs up on a comedy stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we would have been. I, I know we would have been funny, uh, but it's the kind of thing where, like, you guys would have loved it. You know, our listeners yeah, would have loved I, it and appreciated I, it. The only person laughing in that room would be Metal Mike and, and Bushy. Yeah, and I, I think you know, you know, and of course Courtney, who's a big fan of ours, and we're a fan of hers. I think she would have dug it. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, it didn't end up happening. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Courtney and I think Craig Gast 
and maybe Jameson had to leave halfway through, and that was supposed to be we were supposed to take over, supposedly. Uh, but it never happened. You were really upset, and I really didn't give a fuck. That's how it was that night. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, whatever. But something that I put up since you've been away on YouTube is the Lee Gersman in our hotel room thing. <laughs> well, there was a piece I, I cut out. And it's a piece where you said, you said to uh, you said to Lee, you go, Lee, come here and fuck me like they did at the Kiss, at the Kiss movie. <laughs> and then I said, yeah, slap his ass and say, you're about to go up and talk. <laughs> I, I took that out on purpose and at the same time, who would get the joke, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> now that was fun. Yeah. That that was later that night, man. Lee, Lee, I gotta say, Lee was on his best behavior. Oh yeah, yeah. He he was really he was not like what I experienced in San Francisco. And and the funny thing is, I was worried the way the day started <laughs> because Chris Sinzak came up to me. He goes. I thought maybe you should best handle this, but someone found Lee's American Express card. <laughs> How this motherfucker has an American Express card, I have no idea. I actually was worried about him like at four in the morning, because that's when he, he had to be at the airport at six in the morning. I right. was down to make sure he was on the shuttle, and he was. You know, I was like worried that he overslept, because you know, we were feeding him a lot of alcohol. Mm -hmm. But he. he but toward the end of the video is godly. Bougie, 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 bitch. That's the best part of the video for me. Oh, my God. And, and what a great time. You know, uh, Metal Mike was there, Lee Gertzman, Bushy. Bill Wang. Bill Wang on, via the telephone. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was so much fun. And that's, and that's what I want to stress, too. You know, I know in the earlier I said it was a little mixed bag. But but the highs were so fucking high, that and, and that best, definitely was. That may have been the best hotel party we had yet. <laughs> yeah, and we've had we've had more pe people were so spread out this year. Yeah. You know we we've, we've had a lot bigger hotel parties, but that one, oh my god. There was only that, five people in that one. <laughs> yeah, and if you haven't seen the video yet, go on the uh, Rock Metal Combat Facebook page and check it out. It's called Lee Gersman versus uh, Nashville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, oh, God, so much fun. So yeah. much fun. And then Sunday, I partied so much. I, I think after, yeah, after Lee left is when me and Metal Mike went to go get something to eat. And we ended up gone till about four in the morning. And uh, so I, I took the next day off. But you went to the comedy show. Yeah. And you said you had a great time at that. Yeah, it was great. It, it was awesome. Uh, they were all funny. It started with three comedians, um, and they were all part of that Ace Frehley band, Gene Simmons band. They all did a comedy act. Then, uh, who was that? I think Don Jameson was that. Whatever. They were all fucking hilarious. It was a great time. I had fun. Yeah, and, and, and I laid in bed, nursed my hangover, and uh, 
and uh, just caught up <laughs> a little bit on some sleep. But then Monday, which is always always my favorite part of the whole weekend, yeah. uh, we had we had a party, and we had a this year it was at, it went back to Aaron Camaro's house, and Aaron, oh man, Aaron and his wife, what a beautiful home they have. Uh, just a great place to hang out. There was a nice man cave basement, and uh, it, it was so great. I, you know, a lot of lot of people were there. Uh, Rock and Ron was there, and uh, you know, so that'll always be special because that was the last time we got to hang out with Ron, and uh, we just had a really really good day. Uh, great food, drinks, and laughs, and. Uh, you know, it's always the calm after the storm, and my favorite part of every year. So, all all in all, it was a great, great experience. Uh, you know, with just a, li- a little bit of sadness, but I'll gladly do it again. I know there'll be another one now because this thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, you know, I would like to see you know some changes, kind of like how we're set up. But I also understand that. You're never going to make everybody happy. Like, what would have made Ralph and I happier would piss off a lot of other shows. And, and this thing is much bigger uh, than Ralph and myself. And I'm very glad and, and proud of how, you know, us and, and you, the listeners, have, you know, helped make it what it is. You know, and, and Chris always gives us much, much love and much love to all of the listeners because uh, of your donations. You know, it's. It's grown to this point, uh, you know, and and, uh, and I'm very proud of it, and I'll do it all over again. And hopefully next year, uh, you know, more people will get to come. Hopefully, you know, everything will be going better with the COVID, and, and we won't have that to deal with like, like we did this year. But all in all, for this one to be the biggest one yet, man, that, that's, that's fucking amazing. And I want to give a big thank you to everybody who donated this year and made it possible for Ralph and I to be there. Yeah. Because uh, we, 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 we couldn't have done it without you guys. And and we enjoyed everybody that we got to see. Uh, Charlie and Daniela, Lee Gertzman, uh, Metal Mike. Uh, God, I, I know I'm, I'm leaving people out and I feel terrible, but it was such a whirlwind weekend. But I know a lot of people had to do last-minute cance- cancellations and, and you were all missed. You know, I, w- I was hoping TikTok was going to show up and surprise us, but we, we didn't even get no TikTok. <laughs> I was just thinking of one the other day. Have you heard from uh, the The last I heard from TikTok is when we got back together and he sent me a message saying it's about time, you two bitches. Yeah. <laughs> that guy always brings the truth. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And uh, he was missed and so was everybody else who was going to make it, but... I was so glad for who was there, and uh, yeah. But now it's time to get into these amazing interviews we did, and we hope you enjoy them. Uh, I think we had some great ones. We had one that was kind of uh, awkward, but then we went into Don Jameson. Now, uh, Don was somebody that I was very uh, excited to meet. You know, I, I was and still am a fan of that metal show, and... Uh, you know, as much as I used to like Eddie Trunk, I, well, I still like Trunk, but he can, he can get annoying. But uh, I always liked him and uh, what's the other guy's name? 
Jim Florentine. Jim Florentine. They they were always my favorite part because to me they just seemed more real and didn't care about what they said. So I, I knew he was going to be a fun interview, but I didn't know how funny he was going to be. But I think we succeeded uh, very well at making him nervous. <laughs> he did not walk away when I was slamming Eddie Trunk in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it was a great interview. And what's cool is, you know, people have been to these rocket pods or seen footage. I don't go nowhere without some beers. And he was the only rock star to have a beer with me. Well, he's not a rock star, he's a comedian, but he's a rock star comedian. Um, but I asked him if he wanted a beer, and he drank a Natty Light with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I did find a case of Natty Light. I didn't see Rolling Rock. I got Natty Light. I'm like, you want a beer? He's like, you got one? Yeah, it was a fun interview. He rolled with us. Uh, yeah, he was a little uncomfortable, but what do you expect? It's us. You know? <laughs> We're going to make everybody uncomfortable. So, uh, but, you know, I mean... It, I don't have nothing against the guy. That's why I didn't mind slamming any drunk in front of him. Man. Yeah. And before we start this interview, one thing we ought to note is uh, my drunk ass accidentally shut off the, the the tape. So there 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 was a it's like a two part interview, and I I don't know how smooth the transition's gonna be. <laughs> but but I got I got a feeling what 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 did. What got cut out was the part where he called Eddie Trunk a no talent fan piece of shit. Uh, I don't think we got that on tape. Oh fuck, that was my favorite part. Oh shit! But uh, without further ado, here's the one and only Don James. All right, we are here with the one, the only Don Jameson. Uh, man, how the hell did we get you? Yeah, somebody must have canceled. Obviously, <laughs> um, it's great to be here. Man. Oh man. Big fan, love that metal show. Uh, what's going on with that? Is there any chance of that, you know, coming back in any format or any? I, you know what, man? It's I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, we don't own the show, so it's uh, if we did, we could just take it somewhere and go. Let's start it up again. Let's fire it up. But you know, it's part of the VH1 machine, and you know, until somebody comes along and really gets it, that's the most important thing, man. It's like it's not even about the money. It's like we want a home where people are gonna dig what we do. And, you know, time has passed. You know, we started that metal show 2008. And then Netflix was still mailing out videotapes to people. Now Netflix is the biggest movie producer in the world, right? So, and it, so in that time also what happened is all the TV executives are now 30-year-old hipsters. They don't get our scene, man. They're like, why would I put these three drools from New Jersey on my airwaves so they could talk to even guys who are older than them uh, you know to them they don't get it because they don't understand our, the passion we have for this music but certainly there's a worldwide audience for it so when someone gets that hopefully we'll be back maybe we change the name to love and hip-hop and that metal show yeah well yeah well i was said you know vh1 like it was us and then like celebrity rehab and basketball wives pretty much you know i'm like well, I wouldn't fit in on Basketball Wives, but, you know, right. I'm probably not too far off from Celebrity Rehab. Well, I know the listeners of our show have heard this story a gazillion times, but I heard the funniest message from you. I was hanging out, I was getting drunk with Kirk Weinstein from Crowbar, <laughs> and, and we're talking about that metal show, you know, after you got the tattoo and everything. He goes, he goes, dude, he goes, you gotta fucking hear this shit. 
and it was you drunk dialing them around the time the the Saints and Colts were in the Super Bowl. Oh yeah. And you were ragging on Peyton Manning. You said he looked like a amateur boxer who lost every fight. <laughs> it was the funniest <laughs> shit. He goes, and he just loved the shit out of you and, and thought you were great, man. Of course, he loved that show so much. And there, there's a lot of people. I think it was really well received, you know. And he well, we're still friends, and I and I adore him. I mean, not just because he got the tattoo, but because Kirk, you know, I was a fan of Kirk before I met him, and he came up to me um, at the Download Festival in England. We we actually did a bunch of interviews for that metal show over there, and he comes up to me, and goes, "I just wanted to introduce myself. My name's Kirk Winstein. I'm a band called Crowbar." And I go, I know who you are, Kirk. I love your band. And he's like, oh, man, that's so cool, man. I, I just want to tell you I love you all on that metal show because you all keep it real. You talk about Thin Lizzy and Motorhead and all that stuff. And, and and we talk for a while. And at the end of the conversation, he goes, man, I love your show so much. You all show, uh, I would get it tattooed on my body. I don't, I would do that. I go, all right, if you ever do that, we got to be, you got to let us film it. <laughs> and sure enough, two years later, he's in town recording Kingdom of Sorrow with uh, Jamie Josta. Right. And I go, you ready? And he goes, I'm ready. Let's do it. And then we got the great Paul Booth to do it. And, the, and he drew the gargoyle. And then whenever I see Kirk, he goes, it's still the thing I'm asked about the most yeah. when I'm at the meet and greet after the show or whatever, or at the merch table, people like, can you take off your shirt? I want to see the tattoo. And that's got to make you feel great that, you know, you know, musicians that you love and look up to believed in that show so much and, and enjoyed it. Yeah, we met, you know, it's like, you don't know if you're making an impact at first. You know, you don't know who you're affecting. You know, I mean, we were getting good feedback from the fans, but then when the band started coming up and saying, hey, you know, we got a record deal from doing your show or we got a, a tour from doing your show, then it became like, oh, wow, we're... We're actually doing something here, so we got to. Uh... I, I, I love how I used to do the little teases with Jakey e. Lee. You know, lead a note to like, you know, you'd see him and It just kept it out there at a time that was hard, you know, to get any kind of notoriety on stations like that, where it used to be so huge. And, and treat them, beat these people with the respect that they deserve, you know? Like, they, they would always say we're like the Tonight Show for ACDC fans, you know? You know, like, uh, the comedian Artie Lang would be like, you guys like you guys have like the bass player from Dokken on, and he's like your Jared Leto, you know, like, like you, you know, you treat him like you know, you know, Jay Leno would have treated you know a Hollywood celebrity. And go, what they are, there are celebrities, you know, and uh, and obviously we always had a lot of fun, and the guys we knew better, we broke balls with all the time, but we really wanted to have a, a safe place, for lack of a better word, for these people to come and promote their shit and get the word out, man. So would you guys ever have, you know, everybody talk about, like, you know, you do Saturday Night Live, there's the after party. I mean, did you guys ever, like, okay, after you record a show, all right, let's get a fucking eight ball and, you know, we're going out, we're going to have fun? Yeah, well, we get three separate eight balls for Jim, Eddie, and I, and then we get in the hot tub with Jennifer, the Miss Box of Junk girl, and I can't tell you what went on after that, but... Uh, yeah, we used to always go out. When we did the show in L.A., we'd always go out to the Rainbow afterwards. And in New York, there was a little dive bar around the corner when we taped in New York. So, yeah, we, you know, we're the three of us are legit, always been legit friends and still are to this day. So we actually enjoy hanging together, even though people were confused when we first went on the air. They're like, God, these guys must hate each other. It's like relentless with the ball breaking but it was like no that's how we show affection in New Jersey and that's our show we're known for you know talking about each other's mothers yeah you know and if you're like 
you know, I think we're going to kill each other, but that's what you do. You bust balls. You talk yeah. Metal. But, but it's true. We have done yeah. each other's mothers. That's That's amazing. Our mothers are whores. Well, I hope they like natural light. <laughs> I hope they're whores that like natural light. All right, I got a question. Um, do you share the same opinion as Eddie when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, they've obviously done a lot of stuff right in the last 10 years, and whether or not we, we had some effect on that, I, it would be nice to think maybe we did from about screaming and yelling on that metal show about you know our bands being marginalized. Um, so if, if that helped at least a little, but it's improved the situation. But he is right in the sense of like, even sometimes when they get it right, they don't get it right. You know, how's Ronnie James Dio not? How does he not go in with with, with Black Sabbath or even his own? So there's so many cases like that, but yeah, generally I think they've they've done a lot better job. Yeah, Parliament goes in and there's 57 people inducted. Yeah, but you can only have four members of Kiss and Black Sabbath. Right. But don't you feel? Because it's run by Rolling Stone. What do you want me to say? Just tell me what you want me to say, and I'll say. They are elitist douchebags. Well, come on. They've always been elitist douchebags. They've always hated metal, and I feel the reason they're letting bands in now is to get people to come to the investigation. If Tom Morello's listening, uh, he's on the nomination committee. I want to Tom Morello to uh, instigate an investigation into the where the, these funds are going. And maybe and Eddie's on the you know Eddie's one of the the hall voters. They might be funneling it into Eddie Trunk's pocket. You know Eddie Trunk just bought a house in Vegas. Where did he get that money? Think about it. He's skimming. Trunk is skimming. That's uh, we figured it out. Yeah. And where you live? Back in Jersey. Yeah. He leave, he's leaving me in Jersey with his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame money going to Vegas. Do you go way back like the, the Metal Militia? Oh yeah. That Old Bridge Metal Militia. Did you see Metallica way back then with Mustaine when you were on? No, no, no. Florentine was more on that scene because he was from Old Bridge and he used to drive Metallica and raving around and stuff um, to, to gigs and to interviews and stuff. So he was he was more wired in with that. But um, yeah, those that crew's still around and Metallica still like donates stuff because they do a charity. Um, you know, component to what they do, and as well as put on live shows. But Metallica will send them signed drum heads, signed guitars, all that stuff. So that's it's cool. You know, I know Metallica can be the whipping boy, especially Lars on this scene. But man, they they oh, they have not forgotten their roots, man. When they were sleeping on their couches and in their basement, puking on their carpets, and you know, pissing in their closets. He always sticks up for Lars, but I think I that's because they're both uncircumcised. Yeah, that's, true. that's probably yeah. Yeah. Together. yeah. <laughs> My, my great grandmother's Chinese, so I'm not packing much. Right. Anyway, um, my part of Metallica too. I don't know if you know a guy called Bob Nalbami. Uh huh. He goes back to Metallica. Like he was just a friend of theirs, and when they had the uh, 20th or 30th anniversary, they flew him in, put him in a hotel, just so they can be part. So they don't forget. Yeah. Their past. You know? I guess the thing. What is it called? Old Bridge Militia. Yeah, Old Bridge like Metal Militia. Yeah. So they don't forget their past, and yeah, I don't understand why. Um, well, I do understand why they get a lot of shit because they changed their sound. But don't you think? This is my personal opinion. There he goes. He wants to get something out of me. Hardwire for the self-destruct is an awesome album. Do you agree? Absolutely, I do. Yeah. There's a lot of people that hate it because no matter what they put out, 
it sucks. Listen, the bigger you get, the more people who want to knock you off the mountain. So that's just, just part of the game. But um, they look, they're still doing it. They're still the big, they're st- one of the biggest bands in the world, period. And listen, look, my experiences with those guys, I mean, they had me perform at Orion Fest, you know, me and Jim Brewer and Jim Florentine. And, and they were hands-on. Like, Lars came down and introduced us to the crowd. Hetfield came and watched the comedy show, and they did that with at all the stages, the different bands. Like, they would go down and, and do the intros, and, and they were involved in the whole festival. So they didn't, you know, they didn't hide somewhere in a trailer and go, when we go on, that's when we'll leave the trailer. They were out and about all day. Like, when Lars came, when I saw Lars roll up in a golf cart, I was like, what are you doing down here? He goes, I'm going to introduce you. I'm like, uh, like, I was like terrified because now I got to now I got to perform in front of Lars I'm like I'm freaking out you know and there was one point in the set I remember I told this joke and I thought it was a good joke but it got this it got a big laugh and then this giant applause and I'm like I got all cocky I'm like that's right motherfuckers you know and then I and then I look and I see Hetfield that just sat on an amp on the side of the stage. I go, oh, that was for him, you motherfuckers. All right. That's cool. I, I knew that joke wasn't that good. So, but that was, but just that he was sitting there watching, man. It was just, I go, man, that's, man, these guys are still connected, you know. They, they still know what it's like to be a fan, which is cool. No, it is awesome how huge they are and they still care where Eddie Trump, he'll hide in the trailer, right? <laughs> he, won't, he won't say hi to nobody, right? Well, well uh, so once in a while, Mr. Trump will allow me to come into the trailer. I, and I met him. I was so nervous because I used to listen when he'd do the live show. I'm one of the guys I listened every week. And I would call in. I would always ask. I would always request Charlotte the Harlot. And he had a guy answering the radio, Andrew. And oh, yeah. Andrew knew my voice. Like I, he's, he's like, hey, Ian. I was like, yeah, yeah, Charlotte, Charlotte the Harlot. And then he quit doing the live show, and I met him. It was like a cock rock festival at a piece of shit casino in upstate Louisiana. And I went up to him. I'm like, what's Andrew doing now that you canceled the live show? What about poor Andrew? He needs a fucking job. He's like, oh, he's got a great job. You know, you know don't worry about it. there was another him. guy na- named Mike who was there for a short time. And this is a crazy story. So I used to live in New York City. I lived in the East Village. I went to a Halloween party over in the West Village. I walked all the way across Manhattan because I couldn't get a cab. I get over there, and and I walk all the way back. It's like a 30-minute walk, and I realize my keys to my apartment fell out of my pocket. So now i got to walk all the way back. Now it starts pouring raining. I'm miserable. I've been drinking, so i got to pee. I'm like, yeah, oh, it's raining. I just pee. I'll just find an alley, and I'll pee in the alley. No big deal. I go in the alley, take out, you know, Don Jr. I'm doing my thing. All of a sudden, poof, this bright light, spotlight just shines on me, and I look, and it's a cop car. I'm like, God damn it, you know, it's like, this is my luck tonight. Forget my keys. Now I'm going to get arrested for urinating in public. And they go on the, they go on the microphone all loud, you know, like, uh, guess you couldn't hold it, huh, sir? Now the guy gets out of the car. He walks up. So I'm putting my thing back in. And he walks up and he goes, he goes, yeah, I guess you couldn't hold it. Don Jameson? And I go, yeah. He goes, Mike, Mike, I used to answer the phones for Eddie Trump. <laughs> he goes, I'm a cop now. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, you don't, you can't go inside. I go, I told him the whole story. He goes, he goes, all right, let's stand out here and talk for a while, so it looks like I'm chewing you out. My part, because my partner wants to to take it, to handcuff you and take you in. They go, I'll just tell him I chewed you out, and we'll be all good. So, 
That was a good thing about knowing Eddie's uh, phone screener. Oh, yeah. Awesome if you say his last name so we can get him fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, cops don't have enough fucking problems. Yeah. Well, cops right. in New York don't give anyone a ticket anymore. You don't have to name names, and obviously you won't. No. But was there any guest on the metal show that was complete douchebag that were hard to deal with? You're not so, so, yeah, no, no, definitely no douchebags. Um, hard to deal with. The, the, the example we always give is, is Marilyn Manson because he showed up hammered both times that he did the show, which. You know, um, for me, it's like that's how he—that's how Manson rolls. You know, like I—it's a way harder to interview somebody who's been drinking absinthe since eleven in the morning, and it's now five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, and and it was the real deal absinthe because I remember um, he he was just drinking right out of the bottle, and um, they, you know, the producer was like, "Hey, you can't drink that on camera." You know, it's like an advertising thing. So, so Manson asked the, the PA, he said, could you give me a cup so I can pour some, so I can drink it during the interview? And she comes over with a, one of the styrofoam coffee cup and he pours the absinthe in and the cup disintegrates instantly. <laughs> so I'm like, he's not, yeah, that, that's the real deal. So uh, he, was, he was tough to interview, but again, it's, I'd rather have Manson as he is than shiny, happy Manson. Was it disappointing though when uh you know, Sammy Hagar had to come on the show when everybody really wants David Lee Roth. <laughs> well, we wanted Dave too, but no, Sammy was always great on the show, man. He, uh, you know, he brought his rum on the show, and we drank rum with him. And yeah, but you can drink all that shit, and Van Hagar still sounds horrible. Well, hey, listen, I, Sammy, you're a Dave man, right? Well, I'm, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a Dave man, but no, Sam, Sammy's the real deal. Like Eddie always says, man, what you see is what you get, man. For a guy who's, uh, you know. Multi, multi, multi-millionaire, many, many times over. He's real down to earth, man. Well, I've heard those Van Hagar records, and he should be humble. Okay. <laughs> but you know, you gotta hand it to Sammy because at least he consistently sucks. Wow, you guys, you guys are just tough judge of character, man. We're being David Yeah. No, I, listen, it was it was a bummer we never got Dave, and obviously, especially now that we didn't get Eddie. Was that a thing? Because like Eddie and Sammy are like brothers. Is is there a reason why you didn't get Dave? It was it on Dave's camp, or, or Eddie didn't want him? Or? Well, because because they, you know, when we started doing the metal show, they had, they had reunited with Dave right at that time. Right. So uh, you know that that camp is is notoriously protective. So Dave couldn't just come on if he wanted to. It's sort of like everything has to go through the brothers, and they're very protective of their image. And so Dave wasn't able to come on that time and obviously you know we would have loved that Betty on and he sent us his amps and all his equipment for our guest musicians and we thought maybe someday he'll actually show up but he never did unfortunately it would have been have you ever got to amazing. Dave? Uh, I, yeah, my, my buddy was his assistant in like the mid 90s when he was playing with Ray Lazier from Corn and those guys and DLR band and so yeah the DLR band so I, I yeah I hung with Dave quite a few times and um He's uh, listen. He when you talk to Dave, you you leave the room with tears rolling down your face. But then then you go and then I ask my friend who is his assistant. I go, I go, why are we laughing? Like, do, do you remember anything he said? He goes, no idea. But he's having so much fun and he's he's 
jiving and he's scatting and doing all his thing and you're having he's having such a good time you start having a good time next thing you know you're cracking up and then you go but i don't even really know what we i remember we were talking about little dreamer and then the, the, the half hour after that was a complete blur and but the, the main thing about dave was there was always the thing about is there iced tea in the jack daniels bottles in van halen there's no way james drinking all that jack daniels Oh, yes, he was. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Driver down to where I was close enough where he threw it to the crowd. And somewhere in my arm, I looked at it, but that is Jack. And he He always had the, he had three bottles on the side of the stage, even with the DLR band. And I, I, I may have took a sip from each of the bottles one night just to make sure. So, so Dave's the real deal. Man, uh, what you got going on now? I mean, obviously, you know, touring and stuff. Is it, you got any other projects coming up? Or yeah, I got a webcast called That Jameson Show. Yeah, there's a bunch of episodes up on YouTube you can check out. It's, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if, yeah, if like 25 people cancel, you guys are totally in. Um, so you're saying there's a chance. I like that. So who, who have you had on your show? Oh man, I've had Alice Cooper and Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale and uh, Carmine Peace, who's here, and Vinny. And um, so yeah, it's it's sort of my it's that Jameson show. So obviously, I'm trying to kind of keep the uh, the theme of that metal show, or the at least the spirit of it alive. Well, uh, you know, we had the fourth bass player in Bang Tango, so you know we're no slouches. Oh, Lance Eric, yes, I know him well. You know him, huh? Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, just trying to keep that spirit alive to hopefully one day it'll come back. Like, T- Tony Iommi kept that Black Sabbath going with those different singers. Right. And you, after a while, you're like, all right, what are we doing here? But then Ronnie came back, and then Ozzy came back. So so in retrospect, Tony was smart to keep it going. And like I said, I just, I'm like you guys, man. I just want to support these these artists. I want to have a platform where I can do my thing. And, uh, and, you know, I go out and do my stand-up at all the clubs and, and, and with bands. You know, I'm going out with the Dead Daisies in the fall. Are so, um, We are going to be in Florida. We're going to be in St. Pa- Fort Lauderdale and St. Petersburg. So September and October on the road with the Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Glenn Hughes and Doug Aldrich and these guys, man. It's going to be so much fun opening those shows. So um, I'm on all the social media. So... Uh, for people listening, follow me on there. I put all my dates on there and come on out and get a laugh. You, you are the real deal. Kirk stood up for you, man. He said you were the guy out of all the guys. No disrespect to Florentine or Trump, but he said you were, you know, you He's were the best. Yeah. I know, before you go, I gotta know. Tony Iommi being on that metal show, I mean, that's my favorite band of all time. Unbelievable. Oh, I, it was. Even cooler than I than I would even imagined. I mean, he was just so gracious and so cool, and he's so humble. And you know, I, I brought up the fact that you know, because I do acknowledge, you know, I'm in the camp that thinks that Black Sabbath created heavy metal. But when you, we talked to Tony, you know, about his story about it, getting the fingertips cut off, because that's a big part of the sound, right? Is that he had to figure a way to fashion fingertips on, so that, right, and play a certain way, and that's what created that sound. Uh, but the real story is, you know, that he came home for lunch that day from the factory, and he told his mom, I'm not going to go back. I'm quitting today. It's the, my last day at the job. No reason to go back. And his mother said, Tony, you go back and you finish the job properly. So, and that's when he went back and the machine came down and cut his fingertips off. So I said to him on that metal show, so basically your mother 
created heavy metal, if you really think about it. If, you, if she didn't send you back to work to finish properly, you would have never cut your fingertips off and you would have never created heavy metal. So Mrs. Iomi is the real creator of heavy metal. Well, we'll try to get her on the show, too. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was great to have cool. you, Thank man. you guys, too. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. Honor to meet you, man. Big pleasure, guys. All right. Well, uh, yeah, it was a little bit awkward, but a lot of fun, and he was really cool to us. And I really want to thank uh, Courtney Crone and Dold for uh, she gave us her, her seal of approval and told Don, hey, you're going to love these guys. Talk to them. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, it was very nice of her and very nice of him to give his time. Oh, yeah. She rolls. Uh, current accept drummer Christopher Williams. Uh, what a nice guy. Yeah. I, I, I thought he was super cool and uh, and and something something we didn't talk about uh, we announced we were going to do on the show but we haven't talked about it yet we were a huge success by giving away free shit oh yeah dude we gave away a ton of shit and as I understand <laughs> I understand it's Andrew Jacobs latest podcast tub of shit <laughs> yeah it's also his stripper name uh <laughs> but uh we, we yeah we gave away I gave away so much you, you kiss twat should have been there I gave away so much kiss twat shit and uh and the first one who got some actually was uh well no I shouldn't say that uh some went to Aaron Camaro uh Metal Mike Tyler got something but Christopher Williams uh as uh, some of you might remember he uh would always bring Peter Chris's reunion show uh reunion tour drum set yeah. He bought it, and that's how we first met him at the first Rockin' Pod, uh, by bringing that. So I gave uh, Christopher, I had Love Gun car seats, still in the box, never open. <laughs> that I swore one day I was going to put, that when I got a new car, I was going to put them on there, and thankfully, I never did. You were like, wait a second, I am no longer a kiss twat. I can't use these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that would look as gay as truck nuts. <laughs> Yeah. He said he remembered them and wanted to get them, and when they went back, they were sold out, so he was very thankful, uh, and he was just a real cool guy to talk to, real friendly, so check out this interview with Accept Drummer Christopher Williams. All right, we're here now with Christopher Williams from Accept, man, and you've been, uh, have you been in all of these so far? I believe. What's that? All of the Rockin' Pops? Um... Not all of them. I was able to do the first one, and then I guess this is number four, right? Yeah. So the other two, we were out on the road. Well, the first one, you brought the, the Peter Chris drum set. Yeah. How did you get your hands on that? So I was on tour, and uh, I had about a week in Las Vegas and went by the Kiss Monster Mini Hall out there, and the kit was stacked up in one of the rooms, and I immediately, I knew what that was, because I had the Butterfields auction book when I was a kid, and went in and was taking photos and all this going, oh, maybe I'll make a replica of that kit someday, who knows, and the owner of Monster Mini Hall, basically, you can't be in here, but if you're interested in buying them, I can put you in touch with the owner. She did, and then worked the deal out, and here we are. Do you, do you play it, or does it just, you know? Oh, no, I've, I've played it a bunch. I've actually taken them in on sessions. They sound great. And um, myself and Phil and Jeremy from the Ace and Gene bands 
uh, our friend E.T. Brown from Dark Hound. We used to do uh, an annual charity event in December called Kismas. And so I'd bring them out for that once I had them. Um, now, did it come with all the drug triggers that he used on that too? <laughs> no. I think... And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they still have all that stuff. Yeah. I don't know if the one Eric's using for monitoring is that brand or if it's your question's going to be I know they're touring with Paul's vocals from '84. So. <laughs> you don't comment. Well, man, it's amazing that you're you're part of Accept now. And and that's something I wasn't sure how people were going to take to, you know, a non-Oodle accept, uh, you know, because it didn't go too well with Eat the Heat. You know, that it wasn't a, lot, a lot of people, the band didn't know how it was yeah. going to go. But, I mean, you guys have just been kicking ass and putting out solid albums, and that's got to be amazing to be a part of, you know, a group with such a legacy. And, but it's still putting out music that's relevant, and, you know, you're not, it's just not a nostalgia act. Yeah, you know, uh, you're doing quality releases. How did you get hooked up with the Um Well, Peter and Wolf uh, live here in Nashville, and so on Tuesday night, Phil and Jeremy that I mentioned earlier from Ace and Gene's solo bands, uh, they used to do this thing on Tuesdays called the Rock and Roll Residency. And Peter came around and started hanging out, and some friends introduced us. And, you know, we kind of bumped into each other before, but never, like, put two and two together. And then it was the joke of, well, if you ever need a drummer, ha, 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 ha. And one day, they needed a drummer. And it was, hey, you want to come by and play and see how this goes? And that was kind of it. Well, you've been doing an amazing job. Were you a big Accept fan beforehand? Not, not a big fan. I mean, I was aware of the band and knew a handful of tunes and everything. But you know, I was I wasn't like like some of the diehards that we meet. You know, or the way I am with Kiss, for example. They have like bootlegs and know all the ins and outs and stuff. And it's like okay, and then. But they sent me some stuff to learn for jamming, and I checked it out and was blown away. Oh my god, why wasn't this band bigger here? You know? I mean, they were for balls and then subsequently Metal Heart and all that, but the rest of the world kind of kept them up on that level when they just kind of fell off eventually here in the States right. until they rebooted with Mars. Well, you know, Udo didn't look like Brett Michaels, so that, no. unfortunately here that was a problem no. in the 80s, but I mean, the music just holds up. And, yeah, man. It's, just, it, it's amazing. And these new, like, I, I can't keep talking about them. I mean, they just, it, it's so refreshing. If some bands come back, it's like, nah, it's an excuse to tour. Yeah. You know, and, and they're probably not even going to play more than one or two tracks. But you guys, you know, you're so well received. And, uh, that's just amazing to see the response. Thank you. That's, that's one thing that, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on. If we're putting out new material, play it. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, there are circumstances where you can't. If we're on a festival bill and we've only got 45 or 60 minutes, we're probably only going to play two new songs. You know, because then everybody wants to hear the hits. 
but when we do our headline shows, it's typically two hours non-stop. Uh, for example, on the Blind Rage Tour, uh, after I joined, we did, I think, all but one song on that record, live, throughout a year and a half when I was with them touring that one, because they put it out before I joined the band and had done a couple, one or two legs of the tour before that, but yeah, so, and then the last one, Rise of Chaos, we probably did at least seven of them live, I think, you know, the new one, we've worked up five that were going in the, in the full set, and we have another three from the record that are in the wings to swap out, so. I know you guys played like a festival here in the States, right? Recently? Yeah, we did. We did a show in uh, Penns Peak, Pennsylvania, and then we did M3. Are you planning on doing any more touring here in the States? Uh, we've got a one-off in August. Well, it is August. Jeez, where am I? Uh, we're playing in St. Charles, August 20th, and then we don't actually start touring, touring until next January, because all of last year's tour dates obviously got postponed. This year was still unsure, so next year, provided everything goes well with this whole pandemic thing, um, we'll combine the winter tour and the summer festival dates all in one year, and then who knows? But are, are they European dates, or are you guys... Those are, those are European, and then, like I said, we'll see what happens maybe next fall. It just it really depends on how things are going. Well, the, 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 the recent album's gotten a lot of positive reviews, and uh, uh, it seems like everybody loves it, you know, it's doing really good. I mean, that should help, shouldn't it? Like, um, yeah. as far as promoters go and stuff like that? Yeah, and the, I mean, the big thing here is... You have to cater to your markets, you know, and so it, it's kind of a catch-22 because they haven't done a, a proper tour of the state since 2011, I think, uh, 11 or 12, whatever Stalin was. So you have to go in and do that, but it's also really expensive to tour the states. Yeah, because everything's so spread apart. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. I'd like to. I haven't done a proper tour of the U.S. like a real tour since 2014. Yeah. Before it set. So I'd love. To, I'd love to come back. Are you a road dog? Much rather be on the road. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm the guy that put me on the road for three weeks a month and then I start getting that itch to go home. Not even so much to go home, just to see my lady and my cat. <laughs> um, and then, but the same is true, when I come home I get a week or two in the house and then I'm jonesing to leave again. It's like, I, I just need to play music for audiences. I have to. I go stir crazy if I don't. Have you guys done any like writing during during this pandemic? Any time off? No, I mean we. Well, because last year we recorded the record right before everything got shut down. Right. Um, we did the drums at my home studio uh, late February, early last March, and then Wolf has a studio at his place. So 
when they were still able to fly Mark down, they cut the vocals over a few weekends. And, uh, or I think it was a week or two weeks. There's Mark from my neck! Um, yeah, so they cut the vocals, and then obviously being Wolf's home studio, he was able to do the guitars whenever he wanted. And with technology, they were able to sync up remotely with our producer, Andy Sneed, who lives over in England. So, so they were able to, so we were still able to get it done, and then you've got mixing and mastering and all that. So that took up the moment last year. Uh, as far as accepts concerned, and then I was still able to do remote sessions for my studio, which I still do, so <laughs> that's an option. Hit me up. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. How do you how do you feel about recording an album like that? Does that bother you? Would you rather be like you know the band gets together and they're in a studio all together, or does it make a difference? I mean, either or. Uh, for me, it doesn't really make a difference. I've done albums both ways. I've done albums other ways where, you know, nobody from the band is with me and I, I cut two or three takes of a song and then send it to them, you know. So, I've done it all sorts of ways. The only thing when you do the, the full band thing in the studio at the same time is Yes, you do get the energy and the vibe from everybody else, but in some cases, you also get too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. So, and if you've done enough preparation before you go in, you know, especially with drums being the first thing, have your stuff together, go in and bang it out, make some creative changes here and there when necessary, but, you know, have a game plan and just go in and stick to it. Right. You know. Well, the um, last time, except because we're I'm from South Florida, he's from uh, New Orleans. They played well. It was 2010, Blood of the Nations. It was sold out, nice size club. But ever since, they've never come back to South Florida. Why do you think that is? If they, if, if if they do so well in a market, why do you think? Do you think it's promoter? I mean, you figure a promoter will want you back if yeah. you sell out. But why do you think? Well, I know for one. You know, clubs are clubs, you know, and unless it's, like, I played a club out in Denver called The Rose, for example, with another band that was like a big country western honky tonk thing, and you're like, okay, another bar, great, and then you go in and it's like, no, it's massive, huge, like 3,000 seater type of deal. Um, you know, I guess unless it's those type of venues and we really just want to focus at least in the states of doing theaters and larger larger rooms like that you know because when we're overseas in Europe and stuff we're still doing arenas oh, I can imagine. we're still selling out even in a smaller market you're still selling out the big theater so there's that side of it too of okay we we do this everywhere else but then we've got so much stuff we got a cram on a, on a club stage, basically, you know, which some can be fun. I've done those too, but it, it just really depends on the situation. So that's the, that's what you guys are looking for is theaters now on the um, theaters. Or I mean, even if it was an open air show, right? You know, those are always better because you want to get off on on the audience and the venue itself instead of being you know stuck backstage in the venue or a tour bus all day. Right. You know. 
like for me especially, I love doing open airs because I'll go to the show early and just hang out all day. And that gets me pumped to go, and I get to size up the competition, so to speak. Right. It's like, okay, cool. Why do you think the, you know, the festivals are so huge over in Europe, you know, the, the Donington's, the Downloads, the Hellfest and all that. It does so great over there, but you just can't seem to get that over here. You know what I mean? It's, it's a different market and a different mentality, so... And this is no slight against America or Americans, because obviously I am one and I love it here, but generally the attitude here is, you know, cross the arms, okay, whatever, impress me. Okay, yeah, I bought the ticket, you do the work. Impress me. Why should I clap? You know, whereas the rest of the world is, oh my God, you came to my city and you're playing for us. Thank you so much. It's a complete 180. So that's why they're able to put on these mega festivals where there's 80,000 people in a field for five, six days with a few hundred bands. And nobody gets killed or raped. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. Because everybody's just there for the love of the music. There's right. no attitude. There's no, who are you? Impress me. Why should I clap? You know, no. Do you it's find it more difficult thing. to play to a American fold arm? Because obviously, if they're dying to see you, the vibe, yeah. you know, the energy yeah. is much more, is, it's much more easier, right? To play to a, a crowd like that instead of impress me. Well, it's much more enjoyable when the fans are into it right. and there's not, you know, the people just standing there. But at the same time, I'll yell at them. I don't care. I'll get up and yell at them and scream and, Come on, you mother! Make some noise! <laughs> Whatever I gotta do. And then they like, Oh! Oh, this guy means business. Okay. Oh, wow. Alright. Yeah, man. Hell yeah! I'll get into it. And I've done it. I've had to do it with several different bands and things and at different shows and crowds. And as soon as you show them you mean business, you know, that's why on the gigs, I'm still the first one to go out on stage. And I, I run out, I stand on top of the drums, and if you watch footage, you will see me yelling at them. You can't hear it over right. the Never intro really on the PA, but I am screaming myself first so, to get these people the, to go crazy. Like, you know, like Ozzy always does, go crazy, man! Because you want that, because the more insane the audience is, the more into it we get, and it's just this never-ending cycle of energy, as opposed to, I'm bored, why should I clap? It's like, no, let's have some damn fun, we're here for music, we're here for a show, let's enjoy this, you know? There's always four... Instead of being the cool kid. Yeah. <laughs> There's always because a very small amount of American because, you know, crowds that are really into it. Those are people like me, yes. you know, because except I'm a huge fan. I mean, I go way back to, I did see the Metal Heart, like, you know, headline tour yeah. with Keo, by the way. And, All right. And Helix. But I, then, you know, before that, I saw them with Dio, open for Dio, like and I forget who else. Uh, they've been down, you know, they played Florida a lot. 
back in the early eighties. But like we were saying, after Mel Hood, it all stopped. But Blood of the Nations brought it back up. Florida is a metal scene. I don't know. Well, North Florida. Oh, I'm on South Florida. Florida is huge. Because I don't know if it's still the same way, but Tampa used to be the like the death metal capital. Yeah, it still is. Yeah, it still is. But there's a good scene in Florida, but. For more like bands like Accept, that's why you explained it to me, but I always found it odd was, wow, they sold out the culture room, which is about a thousand people. And why, why haven't they been back since, you know? But yeah, explain it. They want to play more. It's just, it's kind of the club thing. Like, like I said, the open air stuff is far more enjoyable than the club, for sure, because there's that energy there. Nothing against clubs, because I've had some shows We've done some in South America where they're right in your face. And it's like, this is great, man. This is either going to go off without a hitch or they're going to murder us. But either way, this is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and they are the most dedicated. I mean, I'm in a band too, very small, but I've played South America and they are the most rabid metalheads you've ever met. South America and Russia. Oh, yeah, I've never been to Russia. I've, I've, I had one fan the last time we were in Russia that was at the hotel. I'm signing like an autograph for like a kid or something. something to, I was taking a photo or signing some sticks or something and like really trying to give time to this little kid. And this big, like, Olaf or whatever just grabs my bicep and pulls me and goes, photo. And I had, to, I had to turn around and tell him off, like, yo, hold, the, hold on, dude. I'll take your photo, but don't grab me. Don't do that. in line for toilet paper and I'm like, it's like, I got time for everybody. I'll talk to you off all day, but... I'm here with a kid. That could be like the future rock star of the world. Exactly. And this is important. Not that the other guy is not important either, but wait your turn. just wait. Just give me a minute. Because what I'm doing here, like that could totally change that kid's life. Oh man, I remember when I met him and he was so cool and I want to do that. Like, you know? Yeah, just because the other guy was a singer for Gorky Park, he still got a great fucking line. Well, brother, I, I, I could talk to you forever. You've been amazing, but they're saying we got to stick to this schedule. Right so on. is there anything else you got coming up you want to talk about? Anything you want to promote? Um, yeah, well, I'm still doing stuff out of the house uh, as well as local sessions. So if anybody wants to get in touch with me, there's social media, Facebook, all that. Everything is just at C. Williams Drums. My website is cwilliamsdrums.com. You can get a hold of me through there. Hit me up. Um, actually engineering and co-writing some stuff uh, with an artist named Ainsley. So that'll be coming up maybe by the end of the year. And yeah, just playing recording, engineering, doing the thing. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I got something for you. Okay. Thank you, man. Hi, buddy. Let me get over there. Ladies and gentlemen, Martin Motnick. Wie geht's, mein Freund? Sehr gut, sehr gut. Alles gut? Alles gut. Wunderbar. You don't, you don't have to be obligated to take it, but I know what a super KISS fan you are. Are you? Oh, I remember, dude. I remember when these came out at uh, it was AutoZone or Advanced Auto. I was in high school. 
was like, I'm going to get the Love Gun seat covers. And I never did. So, hell yeah. Well, there you go. Now yeah. Never use. Thank you. No cum stains, beer stains, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Enjoy, we brother. Get, we, should, we should get a yeah. picture before you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, that was Christopher Williams. Uh, I got to say, one of my favorite parts in the interview, you know, being there looking at him while we're talking, was the look on his face when I asked him if the Peter Chris drum set came with all the, the triggers. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looked, he looked at me like, oh, you fucking dick. But he had a smile on his face yeah. and uh, was was a real good sport. And uh, and a super nice guy, and I'd, I'd love to talk to him again. He's always there, and and just like all these people, were so generous with their time, and and it was a great day to get the ball rolling. Going in alphabetical order, but we're not going in chronological order because this is technically uh, the last interview we did. Yeah, uh, th- this one was with uh, Van Halen Rising author Greg Renault, and we. <laughs> We've known Greg since the first Rockin' Pod, and he is just a super nice guy. Um, you know, we eventually want him on the show, uh, and he's going to do a Van Halen show with us. But, man, we were so drained, and he was drained as well, because yeah. he was doing interviews, he was being interviewed, and we just looked at each other before we started, and we just looked at each other and laughed, because we, we knew it was going to get funny. Uh <laughs> We knew it was going to be slamming Sammy Hagar, and and Greg is just one of the nicest guys. Yeah. You know, you're hard pressed to get him to say a bad word about anybody. But uh, it, it was so, we were so thankful that he was our last one, and we could just sit and relax and talk to a friend. And I'm really looking forward to having him on the show because uh, I, I just think he would add a lot and uh, super nice guy. But this is how we officially ended the day. Here we go with Greg Renoff. All right, we got the one and only best-selling author Greg Renoff with us. Thank you, Greg, for gracing us with your presence today. How are you doing? It is all my pleasure to be with you guys. I am doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on your show. Is it your last interview? This is the last one. So how many times have you just said right now what you just said? Uh, zero times. I've, I've actually said like. Um, you guys are annoying me, but I'll have a little bit more time with you before I have to go to the podcast, which I want to do, which is Rock and Metal Podcast. Yeah, exactly. Ah, yeah. I like Save that. the best for last. We recorded that shit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That'll be on every intro for now on. Perfect. Perfect. I'm there. So, uh, have you been enjoying the success of uh, Van Halen Rising? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been out for five years, and so people still care. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a weird year since Eddie died and everything. Obviously, it's kind of a weird thing for uh, and sad and just kind of a you know a lot of people are interested in the book maybe for uh, the first time after he passed. And so that's like you're like obviously happy people to read the book, but also you wish Eddie hadn't died. So. Right, but but I love that you wrote all this before Eddie died. You're not capitalizing no, like Sam no. Hagar. <laughs> uh, but, no, I wrote so yeah, I wrote the book. Uh, book came out in 2015. So yeah. Um, several years ago but yes this was you know it was uh i mean it was a shock for me you know i think like a lot of people you guys probably knew that eddie was not 100 percent. i mean i think everybody kind of knew he probably was fighting cancer still but to have him like go it was like such a shock so yeah and, and you did a unique book because i mean you really you know 
it's much like the title. You chronicle the rising of the band. Right. You know, not everything after. Yeah, I mean, so the idea for the book after I kind of got going on it was to really just do their prehistory. Like, I wasn't going to, like, tell the whole the whole story. There are some good books. Um, I really like the Van Halen Saga book um, that Ian Christie did that covers kind of the whole history of the band. But I, I uh, in doing the research and starting to write the beginnings of the book, and I realized there was, like, this whole years of them working and playing in clubs and playing wet t-shirt contests and birthday parties and backyard parties and not getting record deals and that was not really known to people so I wanted to kind of highlight that, that like you said like that prehistory the rise of Van Halen right and you know I'm one of those it, it's kind of weird I love like biographies of bands but I'm weird about it when I get a book especially a biography I don't start at the beginning you know, because normally I don't right. care what you did when you were five. Right. I stick right. to the dirt. Like if, if it's a kiss book, <laughs> right. I go to the elder right. chapter. First. Right, right, I, and right, then right. I read it through there, right. and then I go back to the beginning. Right. I think now, because people, unfortunately, you know, like social media and everything, people love, you know, shit. Right. They, you know, they they love dirt. Right. I think you should write Van Halen declining the same behavior. <laughs> Yeah, right. Some, it's, it's right. Somebody said, like, that. right, 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 I, I right. Right, 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 right. Somebody said, like, I should write, like, Van Halen collapsing or something like that. <laughs> Sammy, the Sammy Hagar years or something like that. Yeah, right. The Van Halen, yeah. I tell you, I won't listen to those albums, but I would read that. There you I go. I would read, like, yeah, they made the, there you go. the number one, but they lost all credit. There you go. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, for better or for worse, Sammy's book does chronicle all the good, bad, and the ugly about the Sammy Hagar Van Halen years in, in great detail. Yeah, um, but that's fiction. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing, though. If, <laughs> if, if, you, if you do do the book same comes into the bookstore, you're like, it's like under a bio. You're like, no, file it under yeah, fiction. Yeah, yeah. File it next Monday, to like. File it under Monday morning quarterback. You, know? <laughs> you tell the real shit. You know? <laughs> no, just to let you know, I mean, Van Halen Rising was a bestseller. If you do the Van Halen decline with uh, Sammy here, it's not going to sell. <laughs> yeah, you'll have declining sales. But... <laughs> Don't listen to him. You guys are hilarious. Like, yeah, there's like a giant warehouse of books. There's like all these crickets. I'm like, I mean, nobody really wants this book about the Sammy years. I don't know what's, yeah. what's the difference. What's the difference? Yeah, I don't know. I will show up to that sign. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this shit sucks. I read every page. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, either way, Sammy will be laughing all the way to the bank. He's uh, he's an amazing uh, entrepreneur, as we all know. He's got that new. You guys tried his new booze, his no, I, I think you said amazing wrong. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, not yeah. only have you done that, but you know, was it through doing Van Halen Rising that you decided to move on to the Ted Templeman story, which yeah. I think is very. In, I mean, you talk about something with the history of music. It's, yeah, um, so I got to know Ted doing the Van Halen Rising book. I interviewed him a couple times, and he, uh, when the book came out, he actually was very complimentary. He said he liked the Van Halen Rising book, and I pitched the idea to him, and he was really not, like, he's not a big eagle guy, and really he never was going to do a book. I mean, he was like, why would he, he said to me, quote, why would anyone want to read a book about me? And I was like, well, and kinda, I kind of had to sell him on the idea, but... Um, you know, for doing that that book, I mean, for me, one of the things I really wanted to kind of bring out about Ted is that, you know, he had this whole career as an artist. He's kind of, you know, I wish we could have done more with that in the book. We did, you know, a couple chapters, but he was a pop star. He was like on, you know, TV all the time in 67 and 68. He played like George Burns and like, you know, Muhammad Ali and Raquel Welch, like all of those, like, you know, he were on, they were on all those like TV variety shows and they had hits and everything. So for him to go to being a pop star, to being a producer, 
you know, being the basically this, you know, mogul uh, executive, I thought was a really awesome story. So yeah, it was like I was, you know, I kind of had to sell him on it, believe it or not. But yeah, he was like kind of like, oh, okay, you know. You know, I've thought about getting into writing, but I'm quite lazy. So I was going to do Ted Templeman the Bullet Boy years. <laughs> uh, I um. You know, one of the fun things that Ted told me about the Bullet Boys, he, he told me a lot of great Bullet Boys stories, but one of the ones he told me was that, you know, Ted was a drummer. And he, he, so he played trumpet and drums as a kid. And so, and I talked to Jimmy DeAnda about this, actually, and Jimmy confirmed the story that um, they were working on uh, For a Love of Money and that they were trying to work the intro out and Ted had this idea and Ted sat down at Jimmy's drum set and went in, boom, tsh, boom, tsh. like Ted basically worked out that drum, the intro, and like basically like Jimmy was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's great. Like, so to have like that, um, that type of insight from the producer, Ted from that, you know, I never would have thought in a million years that Ted was the guy that kind of like brainstormed that, that drum intro for that song that's so great. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, I love the Bullet Boys record. I, I think it's like, it's one of the, the best things Ted did in the 80s for sure, it's great. I love all three of the ones yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. Like, Zaza, I like yeah. But uh, did he talk, you know, when you're interviewing him, I mean, he was so instrumental in Van Halen. And then, of course, he does Eat Him and Smile. Right. But then doesn't come back for a skyscraper. Right. Um, yeah, um, Dave fired him. Yeah, Dave fired him. Is that like a you know a bad coke induced decision? I, I you know is that a save I, I money or Dave was trying to go into the future? I can only tell you the way that Ted told the story was that he told me that this is in the book that um, he was he was asking Dave, okay, when are we going to start on the next album? And Dave said, yeah, we're going to start. I need you to come meet me. Let's come to come to my offices and meet. And so Ted went to Dave's offices to sit down. Ted thought to sort of start the start the process. Like, when, like, when are we going to start the demos? When we, whatever. And um, Ted basically said that Dave was just like, "Oh yeah, we're going in a different direction this time. Um, we're not going to use you." And Ted was like, "What? What? Like, what? like?" Basically, you know, um, had been basically saying for quite a long time. And actually, there's I'll be, give you a spoiler from the book. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a, even in Ted's mind that it was a slam dunk that Ted was going to do permanent vacation, but. At the time that Ted was prepping to do Skyscraper with Dave and thinking he was going to do it, Ted turned down, basically Ted opted out of Aerosmith. And again, maybe at the end of the day, he wouldn't have done it. They would have had, um, Fairbairn would have done it anyway. But Ted, Bad decision, by the way. Ted passed on doing Aerosmith because he was going to do Skyscraper. And then when it all shook out, Ted didn't do Skyscraper and Ted had already given up Aerosmith. So it was not a great, from Ted's perspective, not a great moment. Yeah, I mean, and, and horrible decisions all all around. I think it was very bad move on Dave's career uh, not to have Dave. I mean, I mean, not to have Ted. And but but good move on Ted to skip on that Aerosmith album. But I loved what he did done with Mirrors. Yeah, was, I I think done with Mirrors is a very underrated record. Yeah, I, I like it too. And I think I think for me. You know, whatever Dave and Steve wanted to do in terms of producing their own record, that's cool and everything, but they lost the plot. I mean, I think, and I, I have massive respect for Steve I, but I think they really lost the plot. Like, it just doesn't have the balls, you know? And so, and if you look at, you know, just look at how many, so, t so basically Dave and Steve produced it themselves. And again, all due respect to Steve, they had like 12 different engineers on it. They probably did it in like 10 different studios. I just think it just sort of, you know, if you work on something so much, eventually it just loses its like edge, right? And like, they just basically turned it into this like, to me, it was. It doesn't have that, that like excitement, like that. You I, know. I think you know. I, I'm being kind of a revisionist. You know, I'm going to write my fictional book about what happened. Put it next to it, Sammy's book yeah, on the shelf. Yeah. In my <laughs> mind, this is what happened. I think Ted did an amazing job with Eat 'Em and Smile. 
but it didn't do as well as 5150. And I think that probably hurt Dave. And Dave's like, what's wrong here? It can't be me. You know, and, and I think he looked for for something else. In all seriousness, 100% serious, that's an entirely plausible theory to me. I've never talked to Ted about that. Like, Ted doesn't know because it was just sort of like a... He just got... He said... He was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, basically like... We work, we've, worked, we've been working together since 1977. You basically bring me to your office and you just like say, like, hey, thanks. I'll see you later. Basically, he, I couldn't believe it. Um, Cocaine's a hell of a Yeah, there you go. It's whatever it was. But, yeah, I mean, that's not um, wrong, I, you know, I think on its face. I think that's entirely possible that maybe Dave thought, like, me and Steve can do better. Like, because, again, my 5150 sold, what, 3 million copies the first year? And, like, and... Um, Eat him and smile sold a million, I think. Like yeah, you know, it eventually went double platinum. Right, but initially, I think right. it went platinum. You know, look, the, the end of the day, you know, we can joke all we want about Sammy and Van Halen, but they had the brand. They had the brand. You know, and those guys. They also had Eddie, right? Who's like, you know, had that. Um, you yeah, know, hell of a keyboard player. There, <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, he. Uh, and so to have the brand and to have Eddie Van Halen, you know, it's a pretty hard thing to compete against for Roth. And you know, look. Um, I, I still think I, you know, I think if I was going to choose one or the other, I'm still going to choose Eat 'Em and Smile. Yes. Every day of the week. Yes. Me. You, hear, you hear that, America and the world? <laughs> there, there you go. Greg Renoff. Uh, there you go. Author, there you go. The science okay. is settled. Yes. The Eat science is, Smile is a better record. Uh, there you go. It's done. You hear that, you three million purchasers? Yeah. Return your. Yeah, you fucking <laughs> soccer moms. I'm talking to you. But uh. I, I, I mean, you have to be passionate when you, when you invest that much time in a book. I mean, you're talking years yeah. you spend, the research you do, the, the time you spend. So it has to be a passion project. Yeah, I mean, it was like so that. So Van Halen has to be a very deep and personal, you know, band. Thing. It was the first, you know, it was the, for me, it was the real, the game changer of my teenage years in terms of my music taste. I mean, you know, just like that was it. After I saw the 1984 tour, it was like, what's, what's going to be better than this? And I've talked about this before. Um, you know, I, I didn't even believe, you know, at the time, anyone in our age category remember, like, news always lagged. Like, it would be like, you get the thing in Rolling Stone, it was like eight yeah. weeks after it happened. Yeah, they'd be like, the same right, thing. they'd be like, oh, you know, was, you know, Bruce Springsteen and Madonna played together in Madison Square Garden. That was like eight weeks before you'd see it in Rolling Stone, right? And there were all this talk about Van Halen's going to break up. And, but live on the Nashville network, when Sammy was playing for Farm Aid oh, and Farm Eddie Aid. came out. In September 22nd, 1985, I'll never forget that. Like that was like the childhood part of my childhood just died. You know, there was like, it was like, there was like no denying. Because up to that point, you're like sort of in like oh, you know, whatever. Like it's just like because you still hear like quotes from Roth, like oh, we're gonna get back in the studio again and do it. And like to get that like live on your TV going, it's over. I was like. That was, oh yeah, it's one of the, if you have an erection lasting more than four hours, watch Sammy Hagar with Van Halen. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it's horrible. It was, I, I mean, to me, like Van Halen was just so special and so magical. You know, original Van Halen. It's it's like meeting the girls girl of your dreams. Right. Van Hagar was like, oh fuck, I knocked her up. Now we got to get married. We got to live together. I'm fucking miserable. No, it's not. Yeah. Hagar's like crying. It, it is. It is. The, the chick you fell in love with has a dick, and its name is Sammy Hagar. Well, I mean, it was smart to save the name Van. The, like you said, the brand. Oh yes. But oh, yes. I don't know if you know this. Uh, they were gonna change the name to Vangina. But the record company said, you know, but, but even the record company, you know, was trying to get them to change the name because they're like, okay, this isn't going to work. Right. We're going to get back together. Right. You know? Yeah, that is that. That's uh, 
Yeah, I don't know about the other name, but yes, there was definitely talk inside Warner Brothers that they should talk. They should call the band Van, uh, Van Hagar. Uh, just in thinking. If the album bombs, right. we haven't contaminated the brand. I mean, you know, but a lot of bands like look like Sabbath and these bands have all kind of continued on with different singers. ACDC, they kept the name. But that was the thinking, like, if this completely goes to shit, at least we'd have the Van Halen name, like, pristine with the Roth thing. Like, oh, it's not, it was Van Hagar. It wasn't Van Halen, but they went with Van Halen. It was their name. It was their name, obviously. In my opinion, you know, there's certain bands that, that change singers, which is the hardest, probably, position to change. Right. You know, it's, it's it really is the sound of the band. But some bands have done it and still maintain the sound. Where I think Van Hagar is really it's a whole different sound. It's much more keyboard heavy. It's you know yeah, I mean it, right, different. And a lot of that stuff is is a is a product of that. Was a lot of the stuff like Dreams got introduced by Eddie in 82 or something like that and those and Roth and probably Templeman were both like nah we don't like this and so with those guys gone you know there was a different agenda in terms of like oh we can do these keyboard songs Sammy was like sure I'll do dreams I'll do you know all that all that stuff that um, that had been percolating for around as like Eddie's keyboard stuff suddenly with Dave gone and with Templeman out of the picture you know, they basically started doing that stuff and the sound changed you know it was like you know it was like a push and pull like Dave at first didn't like jump um, but eventually came around to it. But that was, you know, there was sort of like this movement of the band's sound, I think, one direction, and Dave was, was trying to basically probably keep it back towards the the spirit of what it was, you know. Now, was, you know, with your talks with Ted, was there ever a moment where it was entertained that Ted would be brought back for a different kind of treatment? As far as I know, no. I mean, he, does, he has no recollection of that. I mean, I think, like, at that point... Because I think that was a big mistake. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think at that point, um, those guys had moved on. They were working with Ross Hogarth and a couple of other people who I personally think did a good job on that record. And they, they probably, to be honest with you, were probably better equipped to do that because, you know, with, with um, just with the personality stuff, I mean, I think it would have been... I, I'm not sure, in all honesty, that bringing Ted back into the mix with the old, whatever old baggage might have been there, might have been, they might have needed like basically like a new neutral arbitrator rather than sort of like, oh, Ted's back, Dave's back, Eddie's back, and if Ted says, again, I'm just making this up, if you know, Ted says something that seems to be siding with Dave, are we back to the same old like, you know, right. dysfunction again? So I, you know, but um, well, Ted never- Bruce Fairburn was dead, yeah, yeah. you know, they're gonna use him. Oh, oh, that guy's terrible. What a terrible producer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's why he was killed. A lot of people don't know that. He was killed by a music. Oh, no. No, that's not true. True story. Okay, okay. Well, put it next to Sammy's book in the fiction section. But uh, I, I tell you what, you, I, I love your passion for this band. You know, it, it's, it's incredible. You wrote a book that is universally acclaimed. I mean, Van Halen fans just love it. And you tell a really cool story. Appreciate you. Was it was it difficult finding all those people back in the you know the backyard party days? Yeah, it was. Stories? A lot of it became like when I would get off the phone with interviewing somebody, I'd say, "Who else should I talk to?" And they should be like, "Hey, my friend Ian. You know, he hired Van Halen to play a prom in 1974 at his high school. You should call him." And that was basically. And then I would talk to Ian, and they would send me to another person. So it was a lot of word of mouth, and that helped me build kind of a cred with people like obviously I'm, I didn't grow up in Pasadena I, I'm not of that age a lot of those guys were older than me uh, by quite a bit and so that was the, the thing like basically you know kind of getting introduced to more people oh cool yeah 
the audiobook. I've never listened to the audiobook, though it seemed a little bit weird to me to hear like someone read my book. But I've heard it's, I've heard the guy did a really good job. Yeah, no, it is. It's cool. It's cool. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Oh, awesome! And what's what's up the pipe, man? What's you know, I've got a couple of book ideas. I'm not ready to cut a preview quite yet, but it's something, uh, I think something cool I'm working on that's going to come. Uh, COVID kind of de- derailed my, uh, you know, with just the way everything kind of changed with the world shutting down and my domestic life got a little bit reshuffled. I didn't quite have as much free time to write, but uh, it'll come. Awesome. Well, we, thank you for giving us your time. We definitely want you back for Diver Down. Diver yeah. Down. That, that is the last album in the six-pack that we have to review. We've been saving it for you. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. For, for years. Awesome. Well, let's do it. Thank you so much You're for your welcome. Time. You're welcome. I appreciate it, brother. It's an honor. Yeah, it's it fun to have you guys. Thank you guys. Did a great job, as usual. All making right, me man. feel uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. Well, man, I got I got good memories of that one, and uh, you know, I I think I am going to get on writing a book with him. You know, I'll help him out with Van Halen to decline the Sammy years. I I, I think that that uh, it has potential. <laughs> I have I have a lot of color commentary to add. I love that. that. <laughs> I'm misleading. <laughs> All right, everybody. As you know, I'm the guy that edits the show, and there's so much left. So I spoke with Ian. I said, look, man, I'm going to cut this in two parts because, seriously, I'm not going to sit here for four hours doing this. You know, even though I don't sit for two hours to do this, I always do it a little at a time. But... At the same time, we haven't done a show, we haven't put up a show in a long time, and it's going to take me like an extra week to edit this, so, hey, in order for you guys to have a show sooner than later, I'm going to end it right here, and then I'm going to edit part two, so it'll be done within a week, so you're going to get one a week, and Ian and I already did, the other day, a fan-paid episode, that's an old one. That's somebody paid a long time ago, so we finally did that. So for the next three weeks, you're going to get new episodes. So sorry that Ian ain't here because it's uh, four in the morning and he's asleep. And here I am finishing part one of this at four in the morning. And just going to end it here and join us next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast for Rock and Pod 2 where we have some awesome interviews like the ones you just heard all right everybody in behalf of ian all right oh yeah and me smack him a gob Go!